Welcome to Local Share Green Action Podcast. This show is produced by Go Green Locally, a 501c3 nonprofit providing tools and resources for people that are looking for ways to take even more successful local action that makes a difference for our people and our planet. So today on our podcast, I'm speaking with two people from a nonprofit organization that facilitates the stewardship of urban trees in a large city, including a program that facilitates the use of wood from trees that have been removed from around the city because of disease, end of its life cycle, or proximity to structures, etc. I'm speaking with Jennifer Zaliga and Jonathan Gibbs from Sacramento Tree Foundation. Sacramento Tree Foundation works on educating Sacramentans on how to plant and care for trees and tell the story of how trees make our communities livable and lovable. Jennifer is the director of the organization's Urban Wood Rescue Program and has worked there for five years while helping to write a new chapter in the story of urban trees to make sure that they continue benefiting the community even after they've been removed. Jonathan Gibbs, a native Sacramentan, is an urban wood technician working directly for the Urban Wood Rescue Program as well. He oversees yard handling of intakes, inventory, milling, drying wood, and essential support for numerous aspects of the operation. When he's not working with the Urban Wood Rescue Program, he and his wife enjoy the local food scene, music, renovating their new house, fixing cars, and going to car events. Welcome, Jennifer and Jonathan. Hello, thank you for having us today. Yeah, thank you for having us. I'm so excited to be speaking with both of you to find out more about your paths of green action that led to your work in the Sacramento Tree Foundation Urban Wood Rescue Program. So what planted the seeds for you both to want to take some kind of green action initially? And we'll start with you, Jennifer. Sure. Um, well, I think for me, it's, it's always been uh, the environment and the connections um, from humans and animals uh, to the environment has always been interesting to me. And uh, sort of, uh, I followed that path throughout life. And so um, I find that, you know, having landed at the Sacramento Tree Foundation, I think we take trees for granted. And I didn't really realize until I started working there how integral they are in our daily life. And so it's, it's, again, it's just been a lifelong passion for me. Um, I get really excited, as you can probably tell when I talk about it. And um, it's, hope, it's something that I hope to continue to do, you know, for as long as I can. Nice. And how about you, Jonathan? So the, I think the started for me is I was browsing on social media one day and I came across the Sac Tree Foundation, Urban Wood Rescue Instagram page and saw what they were doing and how like so many trees get taken down on a, a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis. Um, and they just, they get thrown away, you know, and there's so much extra life that they can provide to, you know, our homes, our communities, our restaurants. And you can see like they, they've got things to offer, whether it's a furniture piece or you're making you know, a gift for a loved one or something like that. And so I just, I really wanted to jump in and be a part of that firsthand. Awesome. So before we discuss the Urban Wood Rescue Program, um, can you explain a little bit about the Sacramento Tree Foundation and maybe what this organization does as a whole? So the Sacramento Tree Foundation is a regional nonprofit uh, focused on really the whole life cycle of the urban forest. And so we focus on the whole seed to slab concept um, and really looking at you know, every cycle of the of the tree through its life cycle and the importance of that to people and, and the community that they come from. So that could be everything from, 
you know, our acorn harvest to tree planting to community service and then our urban wood rescue program. The program's been around for almost 40 years. Our founding director really had this vision of not only planting a tree, but educating around that tree because he was seeing that a lot of trees were being planted, um, but they were dying shortly after they were being planted. And so he, he realized that it wasn't, just, it wasn't just planting the trees, it was about educating those and helping those um, that we were, you know, that we were trying to serve, understand the importance and appreciate the importance as well. And so um, we've really grown over the years. Uh, like I said, it's that whole seed to slab concept now, and we're really focusing as well on um, underserved communities, places that deserve to have trees but don't for whatever reason, and being able to bring trees to everyone with the support, of course, of the communities. Excellent. Excellent. So does the foundation provide information like to help residents make the right tree choices for their locations? Like, is there a database or size, proximity, structures, that kind of information? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So we... Um, we definitely have all of that information on our website at zachtree.com. Um, and then we do have a cadre of community foresters who work directly uh, with the Sacramento Shade Program who are able to, you know, work with customers to figure out exactly what you said, like where their house is located, what's the best location of the tree, what's the goal of the tree, is it energy shade, excuse me, energy savings through shade, is it decoration, that sort of thing, um, and really helping them pick the right tree for the climate that we live here in Sacramento, you know, right, it's like the right tree, right place type idea. Um, and then we're also able to provide education around planting that tree, uh, tree care for young trees, and then tree care for mature trees as well. So. We definitely have all those resources, um, again, both on our website, and you can also give us a call, and we have folks who would be able to help you pick those trees. Okay. And so with the understanding that the focus of the work of, um, of the organization is planting trees, what might be some of the reasons that the city or homeowners would have to remove a tree? Like, I think it was mentioned disease or maybe proximity might be causing some kind of issues. Yeah, exactly. I think most times uh, within the city or even, you know, suburbs, you're going to see trees come out for a couple of reasons. One is disease, whether that be an infestation or something. Um, Also, you're going to see just age. Uh, Trees, you know, we have a very mature urban forest here in the Sacramento area. And so trees, trees are just getting old. And then you're also going to see things like drought stress. We have a lot of trees coming out right now that we're seeing because either they were the wrong tree planted here, like the redwood, um, who are very, you know, very water heavy. And then, you know, we just don't have the water right now to water them. So they're coming down. And sometimes it is due to uh, human activity. So that might be development, uh, street widening, that sort of thing. So it just it just kind of depends. But those are your primary re- reasons. There are a couple additional ones that I have. There's also like proximity to structures that can become a hazard. Like if there's limbs that are looking like they're going to fall down, we try they try and mitigate those. We work with the SMUD, which is the local municipality district, uh, they take stuff out for like power lines and stuff like that, and then they try and send those our direction. There's a variety of different reasons, yeah. Okay. And when a tree has to be removed, are there any special procedures to help, I guess, preserve as much of the wood as possible? Because I know like probably a lot of the tree services that I've seen just observed in our areas that they kind of come out in chunks, maybe a, a foot long. So you must be making a lot of extra effort to to, to be different. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. Um, we do have certain guidelines. Uh, like we like to take trees that are 14 inches in diameter and six to eight feet fairly straight. It does, you hit the, you hit the nail on the head and it does take a lot of work. And so we worked really hard with the city of Sacramento, as well as some of our other partners to help educate them about what makes a good urban saw log, where you can make good cuts to get your best, your highest yield and your straightest log out of that tree. Fortunately, you know, that does take time and time is money. So it is a slow process in helping people understand how to cut the tree to make, you know, the biggest yield and get the the biggest product at the end, if you will. Um, Because you're right, a lot of times it is just chunked up because that's the size of the vehicle that the company that's removing the tree may have. They may not have crane capacities, which when you're taking out larger trees, you're going to need that type of thing. If you're going to take it out in six to eight or nine or 16 feet long pieces. And so it, it does really come back to education. Um, It's a lot of one-on-one conversations, a lot of creative thinking in terms of, well, you might not be able to do it like this, but could you do it like this? Or do you have a partner you could work with? Um, And sometimes, unfortunately, they do just have to get chunked up or chipped up. Um, So we try to save as many as we can, but we know that we can't save everyone. Yeah. It's quite impressive what your organization has created this resource for your city. What happens to this type of wood in most cities and towns? I'm guessing it goes to landfills or maybe burned for firewood? Yeah, that's exactly what happens. Um, A good percentage of the trees across the country do just go into the landfill. A lot of cities do chip them and use them for mulch, which is not necessarily a bad thing because trees need mulch for a lot of reasons. And then, yeah, in other cases, it may just be chipped up, uh, I mean, excuse me, for made for firewood or just sits there, you know, to rot, basically. Again, it comes down to a lot of cost. And so I think that people, though, are starting to realize that urban wood utilization is, is a very important thing to invest in and that it has a lot of great benefits. Um, across the board. Excellent. And so Jonathan, can you tell me a little bit about about the location there, like the services, materials, and classes that um, are available there that you that you manage in that program? So we're we're in Sacramento. We're just south of the main city. We're in actually an old army base depot, which is kind of cool. So it's it's really safe, which is nice. You come in the gate, you you know, wave at the security guard, let them know where you're going. And then when you get to our yard, we have a full acre of our main lot, which you can see all of the logs that get delivered. We have several shipping containers, which we keep a lot of our kiln dried and dehumidified slabs in there. Those are primarily to keep the moisture content down as low as you can, because that gives you the best workability with slabs and whatnot. We do also have slabs that are on the main yard, but they get the sun, the rain. So some of them do get a little bit twist and, and turn, and they do look a little weathered, but it's it's if you take one of those slabs that are you know gray and weathered you can put it on you know a surfacing table and take it down to get it perfectly flat and if it's still workability without having to do that you can also sand it down and once you put a little bit of finish on it the grain just comes to life it's it's pretty amazing when you look at like a side-by-side of before and after of a slab that may have been sitting on the yard versus one that was in the kiln and then gone to a shipping container. When I was talking about the moisture content though, for the ones that are in the shipping container, typically you want to try and get the moisture content of a slab down to at least the low teens, so 13 or below. So if we try and get it down to you know, 7, 8, 10, that range, just because once you start working with the wood, 
depending on where the piece ends up, that can also change the characteristics of the wood. But as, as minimal as it, it sounds silly, like you can make a piece and it could be perfectly dry, but if you put it in an environment where it's really moisture rich, it could suck some of that moisture back into the log and cause a little bit of movement. It's not gonna be a ton to where it's gonna affect the piece, but you could see like a little bit of expansion or contraction on certain spots of the piece. The yard we have, we have taken in, I think it's 13 or 1400 logs to date. And we've got several slabs. We also have a, a secondary, two secondary spaces down between a couple buildings um, from us, which houses our air dried stuff. So in terms of thickness of a slab, one inch usually equates to a year worth of drying to get that one inch completely dry. And if you're doing the kiln dry process or the dehumidifier, you want to have it air dried as long as possible before doing that. The reason for that being is the one year for an inch over the course of a year, as it dries slow in the air, it, it makes it even. But if you put it in the kiln dry process, it speeds that up. So it's a more rapid um, moisture extraction. So we've got stacks of slabs that you know we're super excited to bust into and, and break out for the community but we can't even touch them yet. So the joy for us is that we get to see the logs come in and then mill it up and slab it. And we get to see the potential because you get to see the grain right there. And since it's, you know, when a log gets delivered, it still has plenty of moisture in the log and the grain just shows its figure right away. When you dry it, obviously it dries up, gets a little bit of weathered gray, but you know, once you put some water or, or finish on it, it pops right back, so. Excellent. Did you model your program after a program in another place, uh, Jennifer? You know, our, as I, our, um, our original executive director, who actually was with us for a full 38 years, he just retired last year, um, when he envisioned this program, really going back to 20 and 2012, he had had the idea and there, were, there was some, you know, urban wood utilization was still a very new idea, I think. So... No, not really. I guess this is the immediate answer to your question. Um, he had this vision. The idea was, yeah, how do you use, you know, use trees that are coming down and happen to be built around this beautiful camphor tree uh, that was coming out in downtown Sacramento. It had been there, I think, since the 1800s. The community, it was very, the community loved it. We're very sad that it had to go. Um, and it was for safety reasons because the tree had been dying over several years. And so he worked with the city uh, to remove that tree and get chunks of that for, you know, acceptable lengths of that tree to the Sacramento Tree Foundation and then work with local woodworkers to create some bowls that were able to go back into the community. And then if you fast forward about um, to 2015 is when the, when the Tree Foundation got its first grant from CAL FIRE, um, their urban uh, and community forestry program to start up the urban wood rescue program. And to be honest with you, it looks nothing like the original vision. Uh, we've kept true to the idea of keeping trees out of the landfill, continuing to capture the carbon in those trees, which obviously is good for our environment. But we have taken operations 100% internally uh, versus working with, you know, an outside partner. So yeah, this is kind of one of the one of a kind. And we're very unique in that we're one of I believe we're one of the only, if not the only nonprofit that runs an urban wood utilization program in the country right now. You'll see a lot of uh, for-profits uh, doing it, but we're pretty unique in that way. Excellent. 
So for other cities considering this type of urban wood rescue program, what are some of the challenges of this type of business and how are you working through them? Sure. Uh, well, there are a few. It definitely uh, is it's a costly endeavor. And so finding ways to offset those costs are really important, whether that be through grant funding, uh, which we do, as well as sale, revenue from our sales are go back into the program 100%. I think people don't realize how much work goes into uh, processing a, a log. So from the time, and Jonathan was referencing this as well, from the time we get a log onto our yard to the time that it's a sellable product can be a year to a year and a half, depending on the species of wood. And so I think people sometimes think that, oh, you can mill my log and I can go ahead and use it. And that's not really the case if you want it not to, to move, you know, or bend or that sort of thing in the future. And so I think that's just one part of it as well. I would also say partnerships are really critical to this type of work, public-private partnerships. We couldn't do this alone. And we're not the end-all be-all, right? So like we don't do finished products. So it's really important that we have partners with local makers who we can even refer community members to, um, to, you know, do, to do a finished product for them. So really it's the whole idea of like being part of a cycle um, and filling the gaps um, where they can be so that you can, you know, meet all aspects of the supply chain. Excellent. Um, Jonathan, did you have something you wanted to contribute in that, what you see in the aspects of working um, in the yard there? First and foremost, it's probably some of the sizes of logs that get delivered are pretty, pretty impressive. As Jennifer was talking about earlier, we get, you know, we prefer anything 14 inches in diameter around to six to eight feet in length. But that being said, we've, we've had logs delivered that have been up to I think we have three or four logs right now in the yard that are, you know, 25 feet long, which when you think about removing a tree or even like just a section of a tree that's that long, it becomes extremely difficult. So not only is it difficult for them to remove it, but also then for us to manage and move that around the yard. Uh, so you have to have like equipment, whether it's a couple different sizes of forklifts. So we have two different sizes of forklifts based off the logs that we're moving. You have to be able to maneuver the log and not like bump or damage anything else around the property and get it onto the mill. Then once you're milling with urban lumber or urban trees, um, you run into a couple of things. The grain tends to grow in whichever direction it wants to versus, you know, if you go to like a logging industry where they just grow the trees as straight as they can, as quickly as they can, the grain is very large and compared to an urban log, the grain could go multiple directions and be super compacted on one side and then it changes. So when you're milling, the bar on an Alaskan chainsaw style mill will want to go up or down, which changes the thickness of your cut. Um, same with a bandsaw, that can change the, the way that the wood cuts. Also the kind of the cool thing that we also get to do is we find what we call historical artifacts in urban mm -hmm. trees. We've found anything from nails, you know, from people posting signs in trees. We've found marbles. We've found sandals. We found a, a bicycle kickstand before. It's it's kind of kind of cool and oh. peculiar to see the items that you find within a tree, uh, and then you kind of think back, like, how did that get there? Who put that there? Why did they put that there? Like, what was the backstory of some of those items? But then on the flip side for us. 
on the yard, you know, if we run into those things or if we don't catch it, you know, you, you do you do have like a metal detector that you try and wave over because there's signs for like if you're milling a slab and there's like a gray spot in the middle of the slab, then you can tell like, oh, there's probably a piece of metal either in the slab that I just took off or in the next couple of pieces, there could be a piece of metal because it tends to rust and then create like a gray spot within the tree. So running into those artifacts with, you know, the chainsaw or the bandsaw is pretty detrimental to the equipment. And then you have to stop, resharpen, hopefully, assuming it didn't ruin the, the blade or the bandsaw entirely, then you need to resharpen the piece, take it off, put it back on, reassess your situation. Do you need to make a thicker cut, a thinner cut, so that way you can bypass whatever you might be cutting into? Those are, I would say, some of the main issues. Obviously, safety is always our first priority on the yard. So when we're getting logs delivered also, you know, we've got some pretty large stacks of logs that can be, you know, well over head height. So, and we're very efficient at placing the logs in a manner to where they will not like tumble down. There's two different ways, you know, you can stack it like Lincoln logs, you know, all the way up. And then some places they don't, if you don't stack it properly, it's called jack straw, where they're kind of just all thrown askew into a pile. None of ours are like that, which is nice because, you know, we're trying to mitigate, um, make it as safe as possible on the yard, but that can be a hazard, you know? So like you have to be careful of your surroundings on the yard. But um, I would say those are the, the main main things you need to be aware of. That's very interesting. There's so much that goes into that. What are some of the ways that you and others are enjoying the rewards of your work um, with what you're doing as a tree foundation and with the Urban Wood Rescue Program? I'll ask you, Jennifer. Yeah, sure. I think that uh, every little bit makes a difference. And so um, the work that we do at the Tree Foundation because it encompasses, um, you know, the full life cycle of a tree, I think we're able to integrate our work at all levels, therefore having an impact at all levels. And so um, I think that's, that's really important and that's a huge benefit. I also, I think we enjoy a lot of benefit with both the Urban Wood Rescue Program and the organization as a whole and just in informing the community about the benefits of trees and how they really impact our lives and the way that we interact with them. So everything from the health benefits they provide to the economic benefits they provide to then the benefits they provide um, with shade and then all, even after their life as well. And so it's, it's a good, see a lot of positive impact and, and it just gets people excited and it gets the community mobilized, which is really when I think doing this type of work is important that you have the community engagement and the support and so I, I feel like we we make a great impact here in Sacramento and within the region and I think that it's fortunate that we we've been around for so long but I think that we really enjoy the benefit of just just having the community and sharing what we do with others um, and inspiring others right because we can't do it alone and once you plant a tree um, we can't care for all of them. And so being able to inspire people to want to care for that tree from youth all the way all the way up is really important. Nice. Nice. So as we wrap up, if your ideas, your experience, and your wisdom were all wrapped up in seeds of potential action for you to give to others, what advice would you give to people that might want to start an urban wood program and tree foundation in their own city? Sure. 
Well, a couple of things. One is I would say think big, but have realistic goals along the way and don't get discouraged um, because it can be a very overwhelming process when you're trying to work with this. I would say another thing is like, see what's out there. See what's already exists in the community. As I mentioned earlier, partnerships, uh, public-private partnerships are very, very important to this, this type of work. I think probably now we would be re relatively surprised um, in the work that cities are trying to do around urban wood utilization and just tree planting. And so seeing where those connections already exist. Also, I think what's important is to know that you're not alone and that there are resources out there. For example, uh, with urban wood, um, there's a new and very quickly growing urban wood network across the nation. Um, which really looks to, you know, attach, help people find the pieces and, and connect people. So I may be a supplier, but I'm an end user. And so um, how can how can we connect? And, and so um, taking the time to find those resources. And again, you know, know that you're not alone and know that you don't need to be overwhelmed by the process. There's people out there to support you. And it's really, it's really great, rewarding work, even though it's really hard. <laughs> I bet. I bet. And Jonathan, um, how about from, from your uh, standpoint, if you could give some advice to others um, that might want to be doing this as well, um, from your perspective, what, uh, what advice could you offer to others? Um, for me, starting a program like UWR, Urban Wood Rescue, it's, it's rewarding. Uh, you get to see every day like trees getting delivered and the the value that they can add back to the community. We've had some some people come to the yard who've had a tree that was taken down like in their backyard or at their park by their house and you know they grew up with that tree. They you know, they saw whether it was they saw it be planted or they helped plant it in some occasions and then you know they're they're just they're super sad when it gets taken down but then they get really excited again because then they can take that tree, get a slab from it, make a, a beautiful kitchen table that they get to have in their home for generations, and then that can become an heirloom piece, you know, and the, the story continues to grow with that tree. Some of the, the things that I would just keep in mind if, like, somebody else was interested in starting a, something similar to what we're doing, as Jennifer said earlier, we are a nonprofit, so you can go the nonprofit route or the for-profit route. Either way, you're going to have some startup costs, which is going to be, you know, you have to have certain levels of equipment. We talked about forklifts. We talked about a, a mill of some sort, whether it's a bandsaw mill or if it's a, an Alaskan like chainsaw mill. Obviously, drying is always a big thing in terms of your moisture content. But, you know, you're going to have to, as, as Jennifer also stated, you know, a year to a year and a half potentially you might not have a, a perfectly dry piece of lumber to provide back to your customers so you have to wait a little bit before you're able to provide something that might be of what the quality you're looking to provide for the community i, I think it's it's rewarding though because if you want to start it you get to see like i said the customers who have those full life cycle stories they started with the tree now they have the piece but also local makers that Jennifer was talking about, they come and they buy a piece of wood and they make a, pro make a product for a customer. And then they share those photos back with us and we get to share it with everybody else, which only creates more ideas in people's heads on like, hey, this is a great movement. What can I do with this, mm -hmm. this lumber that's like mm -hmm. right down the street from me? We have people come to the yard and they're like, I didn't even know you were here. Like, when did you guys get here? And like, we've been here for three, four years now. So it's, it's pretty rewarding. There's definitely a lot of lot of stuff that goes operational wise, but it's it's definitely worth it every day, I'd say. 
Excellent. And so how can people um, find you and maybe learn more either about your program locally or um, how to operate um, or run a program like this in their city? Well, in terms of running a program like this in your city, like I mentioned, I would, uh, you know, go to your city's website and see what the Department of Urban Force uh, might already be doing. And that's a good, good resource uh, and a good place to start because, again, this is really something that has really become in the forefront of, um, I think, people's mind it is urban wood utilization. Um, I think for us, the uh, sactree.com website is a good place to start. We at Urban Wood Rescue always also have our own website at urbanwoodrescue.com. Um, and on both of those websites, you can learn more about the program, more about the programs of the Sacramento Tree Foundation, how to get a free shade tree, those types of things. And on our on the Urban Wood Rescue website, you can look about how our program started. You can also check out our inventory. We have all of our our slab inventory online so that you can get, kind of get a sense of what we have available um, and learn more about that. And then, of course, there, from those websites, there is contact information for general uh, questions, as well as if you want to contact us via email. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you both so much for your work that you're doing and to help improve and protect and value our local trees and this wonderful resource that they provide. It's really an awesome program. I would just love to see this kind of program available in every city across the country. So thank you both for taking the time to share that with us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It was nice chatting with you today. Thank you for having us. Thank you for joining us today. It's a joy to speak with people who every day are taking some kind of action that is needed to create a more people and eco-friendly world. We hope that these discussions will help you as well to find or enhance your own unique path of green action. If you haven't yet visited your local green online hub, then please visit gogreenlocally.org and check out the directories for events, groups, businesses, online resources, and local support listings for your area. If you find something is missing, then let us know or just log in and add it. These are community free sharing directories.